It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. In recent years, hostility to immigration and immigrants has become a common theme in many countries around the world. In the U.S., anti-immigration rhetoric helped propel Donald Trump to the White House. A Trump administration will secure and defend our borders. Without borders, we do not have a country, folks. We do not have a country. We will build a wall, and Mexico will pay for the wall. Immigration was front and center during the Brexit debate in the U.K. Pounds a week and spend it on our priorities. And yes, let us take back control of our borders with a sensible, fair and impartial system. Right-wing politicians in Italy, Germany and other European nations promised to close borders and kick out some migrants, like France's Marine Le Pen. I will bring back France's sovereignty in all areas, which means the freedom for the French people to decide for themselves and defend their interests. I will control immigration and re-establish security for all. And yet, amid all this anti-immigration sentiment, one country stands out by moving in the opposite direction. It's Canada. We have a population that is aging. We need people to arrive with their talents, with their hopes, with their dreams, with their capacities to work hard, to build our communities, to build our future. We are welcoming in people who are being turned away from other countries for the wrong reasons. And It is an incredible benefit to Canada. That is Canada's Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. He's leading a push for Canada to let in half a million permanent residents each year by 2025. Many will be those who have specific training and skills to fill jobs where there's a shortage within Canada's own workforce. The country is also opening the door to more international students, temporary workers, and refugees. If the current pace of growth continues, Canada's population of 40 million people is expected to double in the next 26 years and potentially reach 100 million before the end of the century. I think Canada is basically running the world's biggest experiments in trying to prove or disprove that this is the way to go. Bloomberg's Canadian economy reporter Randy Tantong-Knight is here to explain why Canada is bucking the global trend and opening its borders to so many more immigrants, and why, despite being welcomed in, it can often be a long, difficult struggle for immigrants to actually find work once they get there. I'm Wes Kosova. That's today on The Big Take. Randy, a lot of countries are trying to keep immigrants out, and Canada seems to be doing exactly the opposite. Can you tell us why Canada is welcoming in so many immigrants? 
In trying to understand the support and, and the system that we have in Canada today, I think it's worth revisiting some of the key changes that happened in the country over the recent decades. If you look back at history, it might surprise you that Canada hasn't always been this open and welcoming. The country used to have an immigration policy that allowed officials to refuse entry to immigrants based on politics, nationality, race, or occupation. And at some point in the 50s, it used to bar entry for homosexuals too. And the system back then kind of favored white Europeans, but that changed in the 60s, that's when the country introduced the point system that we still have here today to eliminate that racial and national discrimination from its immigration policy. How does that point system work? It's basically a ranking structure where potential immigrants are assigned point in several categories, and that includes age, level of education, employment opportunities, and English or French proficiencies. That system helped bringing in people of diverse origins and, and backgrounds. And we see that today, that the majority of newcomers in recent years came from places like India, China, the Philippines, and Nigeria. And after that system was introduced, Canada adopted multiculturalism as well. It's the first country in the world to do so. And what it is, is basically what you often hear in the U.S. is this concept of melting pots, right? Where different elements of different cultures are combine or fuse together to become one. But multiculturalism philosophy is where different cultures sort of coexist and retain their distinct identities. Sometimes it's described as a, a salad bowl or mosaic, and it promotes cultural diversity. And so that sort of helps create this image of, of being a welcoming society to immigrants. So the way it works is if I want to move to Canada from someplace else, and I apply, then I get certain points for various aspects of who I am? Yes. So normally what an immigrant or prospect newcomer would do is to submit their profile in into the system. And you just fill in all the information about you, your background, your skills, your education, your experience. And then you would get points based on those. And for each time, you know, once you get enough scores, you get an invitation to come to Canada. And so basically only the highest caliber candidates or skill workers that have skills that are corresponding to the needs of the economy are invited to come to Canada. And that's the approach that's different from many of its peer countries. So what are the different points? What do you get points for and what do you not get points for? So for example, the system tend to favor those who are younger. And if you have master degrees or PhDs, you then get more points as well. If you have more skills or more experience in areas that, that is sort of in demand in, in the economy, then you would get more points. And if you are very proficient in English or in French, then you would get more points. So it's all about your skills, right? So the best way to think about the system is to look at it as an economic and labor program that's meant to boost the number of working age population in the country quickly. And Canada has a very ambitious goal to attract people who meet that criteria, people who can help drive the economy. Yes. So that public support and the system 
allows the government to be increasingly ambitious. And the government has set a target of welcoming about half a million permanent residents each year, right? And that that's quite a lot. And then there are other parts of that, international students, um, temporary foreign workers and refugees. That's another group that's just as large, right? So last year, we saw a million people arriving in Canada over the course of 2022. At this current pace of growth, Canada, which is the smallest G7 country by population at the moment, would double its residents in about 26 years and surpass countries like Italy, France, the UK and Germany by 2050. And why is it so important for Canada to attract immigrants to drive this economic growth? So all advanced economies are facing similar challenges, right, of aging population, declining fertility rates, aging workforce, and they're addressing it in, in a different way. But I think the Canada approach is basically convinced that immigration is the way to tackle this, right? By adding young workforce to the country, it would help offset some of the economic drag of that aging workforce. And we see France, for example, trying to raise the retirement age. We see Japan trying to add robots and automation to help address some of the shortages in, in their economy. But Canada is choosing immigration as its way to tackle this. So different countries are doing different things. And I think Canada is basically running the world's biggest experiments in trying to prove or disprove that this is the way to go. Justin Trudeau, Canada's prime minister, has really been pushing this heavily. Is there a lot of public support for this? What do Canadians think about it? There's a really, really wide public support. The most recent survey, and this is back in 2022, Canadians have never been more supportive of high levels of immigration. So if we look at this opinion poll by the Environics Institute, in 1977, 61% of respondents said that they agree with the statements that immigration levels are too high and only 35% disagreed. Now, last year, we saw the biggest support for immigration ever, where about 7 in 10 people now disagree with that statement. So I think that shows that as the economy grows, as more immigrants arrived, the support and acceptance grew as well. So they have this program in place. They have big, ambitious goals. How's it actually working? By adding more immigrants to the economy, you are filling some gaps. There are shortages in jobs right now in Canada in, in sectors like healthcare, construction, and some of these immigrants are filling in those much needed roles. And of course, when you bring in more immigrants, they not only add to the supply of labor, they also create demand within the economy. During a period of low growth, the economy is more resilient than expected now. And that is all because of the current immigration policy. But the most obvious strain that we see from high levels of immigration is in the housing market. Canada already has this existing shortage of housing where not enough houses are being built. And by adding more people, it worsens that issue. And especially in big cities like Vancouver, rents are absolutely astronomical. Right. And this, I think, hurts immigrants themselves, as well as younger generations who are renting or looking to buy a house because the shortage meant prices are rising much faster and income growth can't really keep up with that, right? And each year they are being 
left further behind in building wealth or equity compared to previous generations who own homes. And this is where a lot of the economists point to that if this gap keep getting larger, if this problem is still ongoing, it could diminish the public support that Canada enjoys for so long and give rise to some of the anti-immigration attitudes that we see in peer countries. After the break, some new immigrants to Canada find life's not so easy once they get there. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Randy, another challenge you write about with immigration is that even though the country vets people with this point system, highly qualified people who come from other countries often can't find work in the fields that they're trained in. Yeah, this is one of the more common experiences that I heard from immigrants. After immigrants come into the country, they find that the efficiency of the system that's so good at bringing people here stop there. I think there's a disconnect between the immigration system and the job market, or there's a mismatch between the supply of skilled immigrants and the needs for the labor market, as well as the resistance by some employers to really embrace and recognize foreign skills. The country basically welcomed them with an open arm, but because of their skills and education and experience abroad and all that, but when they arrived, require that they have the so-called Canadian experience. And that prevented many of them from getting a job that they're qualified to do just because they're never worked or study in Canada. And they often find themselves in entry level jobs, even if they were managers or leaders in their fields before they came to Canada. And, you know, I think housing and the cost of living that, that we talked about also play a role in this because many newcomers, when they arrived, they arrived with just enough savings to live in major cities for three to six months, maybe. So there's not a lot of time for them to wait around to find the right job to come along, right? So they're forced to get survival jobs, low-wage jobs, just to get by and support themselves or their families. And one of the immigrants that I spoke with, David Ojiinga from Nigeria, experienced just that, 
right? He had to work in a minimum wage job for five years of being in this country and then go back to school to get his master's degree, to get a job that allowed him to, to grow professionally. And he's been in Canada for 10 years now. And half of that time, he was basically underemployed. And that points to the inefficiencies within the system. And we can't really harvest that benefit of immigration fully because of this disconnect, this mismatch. It's a long five years. And imagine if I was not passionate, I was not taking no for an answer, I wasn't pushing, I would have settled and still be at that level. Going back to school wasn't like the magic pill that made things happen. But me also having the drive, the tenacity, the hunger to demonstrate that, you know, I want this. Randy, one of the immigrants you spoke to was a nurse who was originally from Rwanda and came to Canada. Can you tell us about her? So Bahati Maganjo from Rwanda, she grew up and was trained as a nurse in Kenya. But when she arrived in Nova Scotia in 2021, she couldn't really work as a nurse despite her training. Um, she could only work as a continuing care assistant in a retirement home and you know, her plan was to just basically work there for a while and at some point get training so that she could be qualified as a nurse and practice. It's very frustrating, really, because the shortage is very in your face, even as you're working, let's say, as a CCA or whatever job you're doing. It's very much present. So it's very frustrating knowing that you have the skills, you have the ability, but the system, the environment is not conducive to be able to transition. This is one of the more common issues among immigrants as well, trained nurses and doctors from abroad. The sort of disefficiencies within the system put newcomers on the sideline and, you know, you see some truck drivers driving Ubers or some trained doctors having to sit and wait to get qualified to work in the country, right? And there's this joke that I often hear in Canada that the best place to have a heart attack is in the back of the cab. And there's some truth to that. The system doesn't really utilize some of the best and brightest people we, we bring into the country because they face with this issue of credential recognition and certifications and all that. So some of the provinces are now trying to, to change that. And we see efforts by provinces like Nova Scotia, Alberta, and British Columbia in, in trying to get these people on board and get these people to areas where they are most needed, right? And so in the case of Bahati, she's in Pictou County in Nova Scotia, and she is now part of the province's pilot program to integrate internationally educated nurses. And she's now expected to start working by July as a registered nurse in the county. And so in larger cities where there are more, say, doctors and nurses, they're less likely to find a position, but where there's a greater need in more rural or distant areas, they're welcoming in these people to give them jobs where they're not able to find Canadians to do them? Yeah, so I think because of the need in some of the provinces, especially in rural communities, right, there are much greater needs because it's a much older communities because young people left to find opportunities in, in big cities. So because of that need, they are more responsive in, in trying to change and adapt their system to take advantage of the available trained professionals that are in the province or are abroad and they're trying to bring in, right? And so 
There are, I think, conscious efforts to try to integrate these professionals in faster than some of the more popular areas. When we come back, is anyone in Canada against this big push for more immigrants? Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You had said that public opinion is very positive about the immigration program. Who's against it? Is there a vocal opposition to rising number of immigrants in the country? In thinking about the opposition to immigration in Canada, it's the context of it is different from what we would see in other countries. So just to give you an example, Quebec, the second most populous province in Canada, because they have concerns over the languages and culture there. The province's goal has always been to preserve its culture and language and, and maintain its influence within the country. So the immigration policy sort of follow that, even though they resisted mashing the high levels of immigration set by the federal government, they still accept immigration, but they require that they speak French, for example. And across political spectrum, I think the majority of the people support immigration. If you see people who vote for Conservative Party of Canada, for example, their support compared to other parties may be softer, but the majority of people who vote for that party still in support of the current immigration policy. I think that's partly because this wide support that we have fostered over the past few decades sort of prevent any political parties to take on that anti-immigrant policies because it, it won't be popular among voters. And we saw that one outlier political party in Canada ran its campaign on anti-mass immigration, and they weren't successful at all in the poll. You called this a great experiment that a lot of other countries are going to be watching to see how it plays out. What are you watching for? How do you think this plays out in the future? We've seen some of the drawbacks and benefits to the economy from this policy. But a lot of the issues that we see now are more short term. Canada, I think, looks at immigration as more of a long term solution to demographic challenges of declining fertility and aging workforce. So there's not a lot of research out there yet on the economic implications of mass immigration in the current modern context. I think one key metric that I'm 
watching out for is whether this immigration policy can raise the standard of living for everyone in the economy. We know that boosting immigration leads to higher GDP growth. But does that translate to higher GDP per capita down the line? I mean, does that guarantee long-term prosperity for everyone? It, only time will tell. And as I mentioned, the country will be bigger than France, Italy, the UK and Germany by 2050. But, you know, will the economy perform better a few decades from now compared to these countries two decades from now? That's yet to be seen. Randy, thanks so much for speaking with me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicki Bergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Our producers are Michael Falero and Mo Barrow. Phil Garcia is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.